0: Good morning. I think it is as it should be that when I come with you to worship the Lord that uh, through the worships songs that we sing, uh, God does something he always seems to stretch me, take me some place that I need to go. Uh, I just I marvel at that. Uh, you'd think, you know, a guy who's been around church and (laughs) all these years, but there's always something fresh and green and lush when we worship the Lord together. And I just, I just want you to know the old pastor, he goes through that too, and you should be as well. So that's a big praise the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Thank you uh, for those songs and those thoughts. Hey, in your bulletin <clears throat> this morning, I want to draw your attention just for a very brief moment. In your bulletin, there is a envelope that says, Ponder knew what the Almighty can do. At our annual meeting last Sunday night, it was brought to our attention as we look at completing our administration building that the city at this time, and this is, had only come to our attention just actually days before the annual meeting, um, the city was requiring some conditions that we were not expecting to be conditions of occupying the building. So we have what we need to complete the building, but we fall short of some of the conditions that they require, and that's landscaping along Lover's Lane and along Cherry Lane and a seven-foot cinder block wall along the west side of the property. And those are things that were always in our plans, but we didn't realize that it would be expected a, as a condition of occupying the building. Now, those things are in negotiation, but uh, our chairman, uh, pastor, uh, our chairman, Larry Elder Larry Pruitt, let us know that we could be shooting for about $100,000. So, we on the pastoral staff, the elders, the deacons, we're all going to be digging deep uh, because it's kind of a t- timing issue. And uh, if God provides, then uh, we'll meet whatever conditions they have and we'll be able to occupy the building as soon as it's finished. That's our goal. But we've got a uh, building completion Sunday, and we're asking you to be prayerfully considering what you might give so that we can meet these expectations. As I say, we're always in our plans, but now have become something of a hurdle to occupying the building. If we don't meet it, then we'll wait. But we think God wants us there. And if uh, God leads you, we'd like you to prayerfully consider giving and giving to uh, that offering. That's going to be, I think it's on the 23rd of this month. So uh, be prayerfully considering that. I'm going, Shelley doesn't even know this, but I'm going to dip into my personal allowance for this one. So... uh, I'm going really deep, you know, the money that you squirrel away for those little extra things. So uh, be praying about that, and we'll praise the Lord together. This morning, as we continue our series Simple Stories, Daring Truths, The Parables of Jesus. This is our 18th of uh, Jesus' Parables. We're in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 16. Verses 19 through 31. Read uh, with me. Not out loud, but just read along or listen. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with swords who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side or breast or bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses, and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory wrote, There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. It's immortals we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors, but immortals nonetheless. Lewis couldn't write that or think that if he didn't see the world, see people, and see a world beyond life and death through the eyes of the gospel through the eyes of God. Think about that. He couldn't say that. He couldn't write that. He couldn't think that. If it weren't for the gospel, if it weren't for a worldview that's out of this world, if God had not revealed himself, wrote his story, since Jesus Christ told us the good news of the gospel of God's kingdom. Because of the gospel, gospel means good news. Because of the good news, we believe, we should believe, we must believe there are no ordinary people. We know God loves each and every one, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. And the gospel and the cross of the gospel confirms the dignity of every person which is bannered at the very creation of the world made them in our image. And it is Jesus and the cross and the gospel which confirms, which verifies. I mean, if there was any doubt, it eradicates that doubt. Every person has a worth that is worth the Son of Jesus Christ to the very heart of God. That God's love is dead serious. And we are to see others His way. C.S. Lewis sees the world and people differently because he sees it as God does. And this parable raises the question, do we see what God sees? How Jesus tells this parable shows us what God sees. He sees Lazarus. And we're to see Lazarus as God sees Lazarus. Lazarus is a destitute picture of need and neglect. He's sickly. He's covered with sores. It says he had been laid, which means that when we learn about the rich man Lazarus had been laying there. How long is unspecified. But the description is one that people had brought Lazarus and laid him at his gate, implying that the rich man is the man who has resources to assist, to help, to remedy the condition, the situation. Of Lazarus. And the remarkable thing is that Lazarus never says anything throughout the story, never says anything. He has no action to play, no part to play. He lays there at the gate until he dies. The only thing that we're, so to speak, told about Lazarus' inner life is that he desires to be fed with that which falls from the banqueting table of the rich and his guests. And it's a powerful expression to be fed or to be filled because it's the very same word, I mean, exactly down to the accent of that which is used in Luke chapter 15, the previous chapter of the son, that uh, prodigal son who fled his father his family, his tradition, his upbringing, his background. And he spent recklessly his inheritance. And he fell on the hardest of times, feeding swine. And to the point where he himself wished to eat what the swine were eating. And he realized that He would be, if you will, a rich man if he were a servant in his father's house. Whereas he was the son of inheritance. And he longed to be fed. Very same word. When you think of scraps... You think of the Syrophoenician woman of Matthew 15 when she appealed to Jesus in verse 27, and you know likened herself to the dogs who fed on the crumbs and the scraps of the table. But here, you've got a picture: the rich banqueting, and they wipe their hands with the bread. They don't have serviettes. They don't have napkins, disposable napkins. They either wipe their hands on their clothes or was, as was custom, they used bread. They used, you know, the tortilla-type kind of bread, and they wipe their hands, and they throw it on the floor. And this man longs to be fed with the discarded food that they wiped their hands upon, that falls dirty on the floor. And Jesus tells us the only attention he gets is that that comes from the guard dogs, those that are set to protect the rich man's wealth, and they lick his sores. They're fed, but Lazarus is not. And it's meant to break our hearts For this rich man doesn't even let on that Lazarus is there. You know, Jesus' hearers, many would think that Lazarus was cursed and the rich man blessed. He's attacking that, he's attacking our view of the poor, and the needy. And it's meant to make our skin crawl. I was sharing this with the pastoral staff. I just preliminarily, back on Wednesday, I got an email. I think it might have been yesterday, or maybe Friday. Things kind of run together in my mind. But it was from Stephen Elliott, the pastor of our Senior high kids, students. And I know he, in fact, in the email, he, did, he didn't want me to misunderstand him. But he said, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man is already making an impact. And I just wanted you to know it. I wanted to encourage you. He said, I was, I was driving south because he was doing some detail and preparation work for beach camp. And he, uh, he stopped in Fillmore at a gas station to buy a bottle of water. And when he left a little market, you know, that so many gas stations have, he uh, noticed an older gentleman of color parked very close to his vehicle, but his hood was up. And Stephen said, there's my Lazarus. And he went over and he asked how he could help him. And they began to converse. The man shared how he had traveled south to try and sell some of his belongings. His car was running kind of uh, in a shoddy manner. It was pretty dilapidated, Stephen said. Uh, The man said his car kind of had a mind of its own, and sometimes it didn't want to start he thanked Stephen for his offer. And he said, you know, if if you could just help me with a couple of gallons of gas. And so they got the car over to the pump and Stephen filled the gas tank. And the man tried to stop him because he was uncomfortable with Stephen filling it. And Stephen said, hey, no problem. And the man, his eyes welled up with tears and he couldn't even talk. And after he composed himself, he told him, he says, when you're down as long as I've been, this kindness is like getting a million bucks. As Stephen was uh, driving away, was thinking about Lazarus, thinking about uh, the dogs that licked his wounds and the dog that was in the man's uh, cab, and he wondered if that was his only friend. But he also was praying that God would more and more create a heart to see the Lazaruses around him. Because he realized, he confessed, that had he not been thinking about Jesus and what he said about Lazarus and the rich man, he wondered if he would have even recognized the need. Jesus is trying to awaken in us a realization that the poor are not our enemies, not invisible. They are our brothers and sisters. Their condition is our condition. In fact, C.S. Lewis said, poverty merely reveals the helpless dependence which has all the time been our real condition. We are members of one another. Some of us in these difficult economic times have experienced things that, you know, we're angry with the president, we're angry with Congress, we're angry with the government, we're angry at such suffering." there are some who have lost homes lost jobs people who are well qualified certainly well educated and others look at them and see them as lazy or that they don't work hard enough oh i'm sure there are i'm sure there are those that are out there but that's not our responsibility Jesus says, you're to see them like I see them. If I saw them like you see them, or are tempted to see them, or as sometimes we justify going right by because we see them in that way in which we say, well, they're, they're lazy, they don't work hard enough, get out there and get a job. When we bunch everybody together like that and see them that way, God says, I don't look at you that way. I didn't make those things conditions of Jesus climbing on that cross for you. I didn't make that a condition of my grace as though it were to be doled out in little bits as you earn it. You know, I've been thinking things we take for granted. And I say we. Things we take for granted someone else is praying for. There are pockets of people in this state right now that are threatened with losing their ranches or cattle or this or that because in their neck of the woods, there isn't going to be any water in short order. So let's turn down the showers. Let's watch how we use our water. Let's realize that our blessings are often what others are praying for. Do you know what Lazarus means? It means, it's an abbreviated form of Eleazar, who, by the way, was a servant of Abraham. But it means God helps. And in this case, it means without any help but God's. And this parable presents Lazarus without an advocate but God. And I think Jesus is saying that shouldn't be the case because of God's people. They should be advocates. That's the meaning of the kingdom. Jesus is saying, Lazarus who dies is at the breast, at the bosom of Abraham, a place of honor. And we are to see the Lazaruses of this world as bosom buddies In that sense, see Lazarus as God sees him. See the rich man as God does. This parable is focused on the rich man, it's his viewpoint. He's mentioned first, he has the major speaking role, and his concerns are what trigger all the conversation in this parable. He's the centerpiece, the cornerstone, the perspective, the viewpoint. He's so rich he adorns himself in purple and linen. and you might not think this because we're not maybe too fond of purple on a regular occasion, but it was the the, the most costly kind of color because of the expense of the dyes. This is elite clothing. The word for linen or translated litten is more of a fine Egyptian flax linen or cotton. These are his undergarments, you know, like silk underwear. He has outer and inner clothing that is just (laughs) Liberace, you know. (laughs) And he banquets every day. That's important. Sumptuously. The word is lampros. And I've been running across that a lot in some classical reading I've been doing. And it's used in a variety of ways. But always in a sense of glorious. Gloriously. He banquets every day which tells us his staff. And it tells us he does not observe the Sabbath. Abraham is his heritage. He's of the lineage, but not of the heart. He doesn't observe. He's, a, not, he's not an observant believer, if you will and he drags down those who serve him with him. It's pretty clear that wealth has become his God. And what's powerful is just before this, two weeks ago, we looked at chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, which ends, you cannot serve God and mammon. That was the story of the unrighteous or dishonest manager. And the thrust of it was to take unrighteous wealth, unrighteous goods or possessions, and to use them wisely as sons of the light. Those who know better, those who have this perspective that's given from God with the coming of his kingdom were to be kingdom people live by a different economy, a different language, different customs. And boy, that's powerful here. Because right after that parable, if you look back at verse 14... The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, drawing upon the law and the prophets, which will become a theme here in this parable, Leonard Sweet said the empire of goods has become the empire of our gods. The empire of goods can become the empire of good when we serve the God of goods. But you see, when wealth fills our hearts, there's no room for the heart of God. And when we see the world and others with the heart of God, wealth is a means and not an end. C.S. Lewis said, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. What Jesus wants us to see is not only the Lazaruses and the rich man or woman, he wants us to see the present as God does. This parable, as I said, is focused on the rich man, and it becomes a parable of deep, deep regret and concern over his five brothers, for they have not died. And of course, it's something of a jolt to him to realize this is a permanent situation. The reversal, the poor man is lifted by angels to the bosom of Abraham. He's not even given a proper burial. He's unclean. He's ritually unclean. He can't be buried. He can't afford a burial. The rich man is specifically, we're told, buried, and we can only imagine What a special spectacle that must have been. But he finds himself in Hades and Lazarus at the bosom of Abraham. And he sees Abraham at a distance. And this is all for the purpose of making a point. This should not be mined for our understanding of the afterlife. It's built on very general conceptions of the day. Sheol or Hades. The bosom of Abraham may be representative of paradise. But we just don't know enough even from Scripture in the Old Testament to articulate exactly what's going on. And this parable is a story to make a point. And the point is, is that there is this incredible reversal that can't be reversed. And it comes as a great jolt and shock to the rich man who sees Abraham at a distance, and he's in suffering. He says, uh, and it's interesting, he calls him by name. I guess he saw him lying at his gate all along. He said, send Lazarus. And the measure of his discomfort and his suffering is indicated by the fact that just to dip his finger in water to quench his tongue i mean obviously that would make no difference unless we understand that it's it's all to underscore the point that everything has been reversed And we are given this privileged perspective through Jesus' story to put ourselves in the place of the rich man and understand that things there are conditioned by the disposition and attitude of our heart in the present, which is a great concern for the rich man who has five brothers. It's interesting how much our view of the future, which is brought to us, which invades us in Jesus and his proclamation and revelation of the kingdom of God, this new way of living, this new way of knowing God through Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. And this parable shows us how stubborn is the walk of materialism, compared to the walk of faith. For this man recognizes Lazarus and still treats him like a beggar, still retains his class pride, his self-centeredness and indifference to any suffering other than his own. Mammon continues to rule his life. And his claims of ignorance are rejected no sign is necessary jesus says his brothers will be just fine if they heed moses and the prophets in other words i guess you could say as as brian so aptly put it we don't just read this for knowledge we read it for the heart of god that we might Pulse with the same concerns and heart. You know, it was said of Jesus, he was a friend of sinners in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. I think it should be said of Jesus' followers. I think it should be said of grace community. There's a friend of sinners. There's a friend of beggars. There's a friend of the poor. There's a friend of the needy. And we, can, we can be okay with that. Because we are sinners. We are beggars. We are the poor. We are the people who recognize ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. This parable is not about the details of the afterlife. It's not about poverty being good and wealth being bad. It's not about salvation. The gospel isn't what you do, but what God did. It's not about guilt. I read something I thought was so beautiful. Write this down Satan knows your name. But calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. We are people of the name. Yeah, this hurts, it stings, it pinches, it makes our skin crawl, it makes our blood run fast. We get defensive and we want to say, Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? because we want to go boom boom you know we want wonder woman's wrist uh, defenders we want captain america's shield we want that power to say listen you know i don't have to be moved i don't have to be troubled i don't have to be made to be feel guilty i don't want to feel like maybe i'm not saved it's not about that it's about the heart of god the heart of the kingdom of God, the heart of the good news, the heart of grace, the heart of the gospel, the heart of Jesus Christ, to say, see, 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 and see it as I see it. And that gets me just as much as it gets you. I'm no saint in these things. I don't think we'd be human if we didn't feel a little shame. But if we feel a little shame, that's the, that's the pulse of God thumping in our hearts. And he's saying, I don't want you to feel ashamed. I don't want you to be stuck in guilt. I just want you to have my heart and see the Lazarus at your gate. This morning,